Today, we'll be hearing from some of the leaders in crypto in Africa, including the previous head of Binance Labs for Africa and the founder of a crypto startup, which has been backed by the likes of Elizabeth Yin's Hustle Fund. This episode is brought to you today in partnership with OnDeck as part of their OnDeck Catalyst Fellowship. Welcome to the Creators Africa. So to introduce our panelists, firstly, we have David. David is the is founder of Honeycone, Honeycoin, sorry, which aims to which aims to help users accumulate wealth. Honeycoin is both a marketplace for creators and a payments infrastructure. As well as supporting numerous mobile money providers and banks in Africa, Honeycoin is back, um, Honeycoin is also backed by the likes of Hustle Fund VC and also Pioneers. So through Honeycoin in the background uses cryptocurrencies, but it also enables you to buy, to get money and receive money using crypto as well. Um, Prior to founding Honeycoin, David had founded three other startups and was also a developer at Flutterwave. So welcome, David. Thank you so much uh, and for such a, an electric intro. <laughs> no problem. So our next panelist is Yele, described by Michael Siebel of Y Combinator as one of the most important people in the African tech scene. Yele is the founder of Bundle, a social payments app for cash or cryptocurrency. And as Yele always likes to say, social comes first, payments come second. Bundle is amongst Binance Labs portfolio companies. And prior to starting Bundle, Yele served as a director at Binance Labs, which is the VC and incubator side of Binance, leading the African chapter of Finance Labs incubation program. Yele also co-founded Microtraction, a fund which has invested in the likes of Bycoins, a major, another major company in the crypto space, 54Gene, which is backed by the likes of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and also BitSeeker. Now, just to also um, share a bit, if you're interested about learning more about BitSeeker, my podcast, which I'll talk about in a moment, also had I've had an interview with the founder of BitSeeker, Atsu. And our final panelist, um, I think he was having issues connecting to audio, but hopefully he's all is fine now, is Theo, who is the founder of BitLeaper. Um, BitLeaper is a peer-to-peer decentralized app that allows users to send and receive, exchange, and also make payments in fiat and crypto. So welcome to everyone. So. So also just to give a brief introduction of myself, my name is Maya. Um, I'm currently a product manager at Skyscanner um, based in Europe. And I lead expansion localization, led Skyscanner into the Arabic speaking world, worked in Kenya, worked in Tanzania, worked in Hong Kong. I'm very passionate and bullish about emerging markets. And so I have a podcast called The Creators Africa, where I interview operators um, and also founders on the continent. Um, and so, as I mentioned, I've spoken to at who's the founder of BitSeeker, and we have an exciting episode coming out next week with the founder of iRocco, Jason Njoku, which is IPO in next year, or this year, sorry, in London. Um, and that's essentially the Netflix of Africa. So make sure you tune in. So just to provide a bit of structure and explain how this is going to operate, we're going to spend about 20, 25 minutes with me asking um, our panelists um, questions, which I've already prepared. And then there will be the opportunity for the rest of you in the audience to ask some questions as well. So without much, without any more, anything else, are you ready, panelists? Yes. Yeah, let's go. Perfect. Um, so, I want to start by actually quoting Yele. So one factor or one quote that Yele really likes using is that out of the 1.2 billion people, um, only 1.4 million use crypto today on a regular basis. So my first question is, what do you think it will take to increase that number? Where do you think the real growth in users will come from? And what in particular will help to ensure the retention of users specifically on the continent of Africa? Um, is that a question for me or is it for David or? Yeah, you can go first, but I'd love also to hear your thoughts, David. Um, yeah, so I think that's a very interesting question and it's one that I think about all the time. Um, at About two years ago, my thesis was if you build something that was extremely easy to use, um, you would have a lot of a lot more users using crypto on the continent. 
and that's the whole thesis behind um, Bundle. Um, I think, you know, we've been around for over a year and we've definitely been one of the fastest growing um, crypto products on the, on the, on the continent. Um, now, though, I think that there are a few things that I'm beginning to realize. One is that, you know, the vast majority of people, not just Africans, are very conservative, right? So um, Bitcoin dropping 50% or 40% or, you know, other assets, crypto assets reducing scares a lot of people away. Um, and then a lot of people comp complain about like devaluation of currencies, right? So for instance, in, in, in Nigeria, um, Africa's largest um, country by population, um, our currency went from $1 to 380 Naira to around 510. So everyone now is thinking like, okay, what can I do um, to hedge, you know, stop losing money? And all of a sudden stable coins are now, you know, becoming very, very critical. So, you know, I think a lot of that growth will come from millennials and Gen Z deciding to hold stable coins instead of using um, um, sort of like holding fiat currencies. And then, you know, building some kind of abstraction layer that makes it easy for them to then take that stable coins and start earning kind of like yields on their assets is really critical. And that's something that I think about um, often. So I think a lot of growth will come from that area in the next sort of 12 to 18 months. And David, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, just like piggybacking on, on what Yelly said as well, I think abstraction is even the most important thing here because like complexity is really the, the biggest problem in terms of like, if you think about the percentage of users who are in crypto right now and the people who are skeptical about it and the people who don't even know anything about it, um, which is why I like even at Honeycoin. So one of the main goals is we actually are optimizing and, and abstracting most of the complex stuff like mnemonic keys, private keys, like, you know, securing your wallet and all of those things. And then so essentially providing a very, I'll call it like a fiatesque experience and I think that's what like completely spur growth but not just that but like also like um basically new verticals uh like like new features within crypto like lending staking like like nfts which you know we have to start more about um, as we go along um but still within like all of these particular verticals like just providing that abstraction to to make crypto feel very sort of like I don't know, easy to the tongue, like easy to swallow and such. So, so now at least now we'll see more adoption because people will be like, oh yeah, okay, this kind of feels like this, or it feels like this other platform that I'm used to when it's still very um, crypto native. So one of the things or what both of you are talking about, obviously is abstraction and making it as easy. And I guess really making sure that whatever you're using crypto for, it's a means rather than an end in itself. And I guess one of my questions was in terms of the use cases of crypto on the continent of Africa, um, just for those in the audience who may not be aware, typically it's partly utilized because of devaluation of currencies, because of high inflation rates that Yele had mentioned, especially in the context of Nigeria, um, because of lack of trust of government, um, difficulty accessing foreign exchange of foreign currencies. And I was wondering if there's any other key use cases in, and or there any other key differentiations in the use cases amongst between Africa and other parts of the world, especially the developed world? Yeah, so I think you kind of hit on the main use cases. Um, but one, one, one that I think is needs to kind of like be double clicked on is really around sort of cross border payments and um, remittances, right? So um, or rather, not even remittance, like the outflow currency, right? So, you know, I think one of the biggest trends that we saw or I've seen in, in the kind of African ecosystem is institutions and corporates needing to go through Bitcoin or um, stable coins in order to access FX, right? So it's very, very difficult for businesses who need to kind of trade in the open markets to get access to USD because most most African countries are net import economies, which means that they need USD, um, and typically they 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 sort of like sell commodities to earn foreign exchange. But due to COVID, um, like you know, drop on oil prices, there's very very you know low availability of 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 USD. So the question is, where does that then come from, right? Um, 
and you know some of the reactions that we've seen across sort of like the 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 continent has been like okay normally we can control you know our local fiat against usd um but now you can't really do that because you know you have like an alternative medium of exchange right um and in nigeria for instance we had like the 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 CBN restriction, you know, I, I try to call it a ban, but we've seen the growth in, in, in P2P. And for me, I'm extremely bullish because as builders, we all got very comfortable with this idea of using centralized on and off ramps, right? Um, and, you know, when you think about like Bitcoin and crypto assets in general, the whole point of it is that it's meant to be decentralized. You don't have a single point of failure. And that restriction whereby wallets and exchanges couldn't work with local banks and payment providers really made everyone rethink how people would access crypto, right? So, and that made us build Cashlink. Now, I wish I can go into the details and tell like how Cashlink works. Um, unfortunately, I can't, but maybe in like five years or something, like would explain and break down like how Cashlink works. And I'm just <laughs> so bullish on that, right? Because it shows you the true ingenuity of like, cryptocurrencies in general um you know we've we've i think this is sort of like a private call but you know we're doing we're doing more in collections and disbursements through cashlink which is the p2p decentralized fiat on an off ramp that we were doing through banking channels right so in a way like we had to kind of like go back to, to the drawing board and really rethink you know how can we make it easy for users to go in and out of fiat currencies um, and abstract kind of the crypto layer. Um, and that's very powerful. Um, and I think like that would, you know, a lot more companies are gonna build things like Cashlink. And, and at that point, you know, crypto becomes even more unstoppable. So super, super excited about uh, more decentralized peer-to-peer -peer products being built across the continent and other frontier markets. I was going to ask you, David, um, if we were to pivot back to the point about the use cases, I know you're based in Kenya, right? And typically when people talk a lot about the crypto needs in the country of Africa, they focus a lot on Nigeria because it is the biggest economy, <laughs> right? But uh, yeah. what are the differentiations in your mind when it comes to crypto needs and use cases between Kenya and Nigeria? Because of course, Kenyan shillings don't face the issues of inflation and devaluation to the same extent that the Nigerian Naira faces. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I think, you know, it's, it's really important to make that distinction because, um, so if you look at Kenya as a market, first of all, it's really hard to come in and say, you're gonna build a new bank product or like a cross-border payment wallet. Um, and then, because you're essentially gonna be saying that you're going against like a vessel, which is like the whale shark here. I think, um, you know, just the way Yale said, I think there's like still a lot of improvement to be made when you think like cross-border into Africa and then like even diaspora to, to like Africa. One of the most exciting products we are even like um, sort of like beta testing right now is like an escrow-based monetization product to allow people in the diaspora to buy like products here locally. I think that's more of a use case than intra-Africa or internally just because um, of how Kenya is built up and, and where we're at right now. I mean, you know, KS is pretty stable. So you don't need like a KS native stable coin that will be crypto-based. You do need one um, in terms of like on-chain liquidity. But if you're saying that you're going to be building out like or minting a stable coin to allow users to send value internally, and PESA is pretty much optimized and solved for that. So it's not exactly the most exciting use case. And even cross-border, you know, they have a lot of partnerships um, with other Momo providers. So it's really easy for those reels to happen East Africa-wise. But I still think in terms of opening up the continent, like there's still a lot of room to sort of like spur and open up trade when you look at like basically how Momo works and how mobile money and, and how the, that value is exchanged is it's based on like a rolling reserve model of liquidity, which is pretty broken if you think about it, because we have all of these providers, but they still have to hold liquidity and in these particular currencies if they're gonna settle them. But you know, when we go on chain, then that's not a problem anymore. So I think in Kenya locally, what we'll start to see more is community-based tokens because we have thriving economies that are basically silos. So once now we have like community tokens within these siloed economies which are essentially like micro economies within the overall economy, then now we'll even see more trade happening internally that will then also spur trade like externally. So not just East Africa, but we're talking like, you know, Kenya to Ghana, Kenya to Nigeria and such. 
and you see now when we go on chain, it's pretty much very easy to exchange value now, even with other countries. So, you know, sparing trade now, sub-Saharan as well, um, stuff gets now Egypt and such, and then even like, you know, downstream, like to see as well. I think that's a really exciting use case that hasn't even been tapped into um, like in the slightest, I think we're pretty much scratching the surface now with like early builders like us, you know, starting to sort of like optimize and, and build out these products. And then, you know, like basically inspire other people to say, oh, wait, you know, if they're doing that, then, then why can we do this? And, you know, so like there's a bunch of companies that are doing this pretty well, like Kutani and, and a bunch of other co companies in East Africa. So I'm pretty excited for like, you know, just how the market is also developing to sort of like open up a niche whereby we'll see more tokenization happening on a granular level so like really these micro economies then becoming their own self-serving ecosystems and, and i think that's like pretty cool and, and also really exciting so just for a point of clarity for those in the audience when you talk about these micro economies right they're not necessarily at the nation nation level right they may be below they may be even slightly above right um but what do they look like how does that feed into existing user behavior yeah, no, I think that's an important clarification. And, and so when I say microeconomies, I essentially mean sort of like, um, well, we can look at trade first. So within like Kenya, there's a lot of like niches whereby like um, you have these physical good merchants that are selling anything from vegetables to any sort of like also providing supply to like um, hotel chains, to hospitals, to restaurants. And it's really hard to exchange value. And then we have like a, a bit further upstream, like your Davidson shirtlifts or like your hardware goods and manual goods. And these guys are trading with like, you know, um, Tanzania and Uganda. And so like Kenya exports a lot to Tanzania, Tanzania exports a lot to Kenya, but it's really hard to retain that liquidity because they're exporting really large amounts. So this is like an example of this, microeconomy within the economy that contributes a significant amount to like our overall GDP as well, but still it's super hard and, and it's really, uh, there's a lot of friction when it comes to exchanging value there. I think if we go on chain or even like, sort of like we start to build off chain ledgers to exchange these tokens as, as a store value, then we'll see like a lot, when we ease the trade, we'll also now see an acceleration of the trade um, happening. And I mean, this is already like, I think regulatory wise, it's also starting to open up with like the AFCTA and such. And I think that's also like super important in terms of like, you know, um, we were then now the ones who need to be optimizing for like better rails, both um, off chain and on chain. So of interest. Oh, go on, Yale, sorry, go. Yeah, so I find I find it super interesting, kind of like, you know, how David thinks about um, microeconomies in the context of like, you know, still the physical world. Um, and I think <laughs> you also sort of like where Kenya is or East Africa is from a mm -hmm. regulatory um, and, you know, I guess like your optimism for how you want to interface with like governments, right? Like in my mind, like when I think about yeah. microeconomies, like it's purely digital, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we, we, we have very strong kind of like, you know, creator like digital economies. So developers who are working remotely. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Artists, um, um, people who offer, I mean, with, with, with COVID and everyone moving like remote work, the number of like Africans in general that are working for global companies has kind of you know increased exponentially, right? Um, one of one of our portfolio companies, um, American Traction, just pivoted to build something that is actually trying to address that problem of like, okay, you have a ton of Africans who are now working globally. Like there was a tweet yesterday where someone said that a particular company charged them, um, I think it was like maybe thirty something or like fifty something dollars for a $200 payment. And because there's no rails that connect yeah. that. And so mm -hmm. what, what they're doing is using crypto essentially to be like a settlement layer to mm -hmm. move in and out of like these currencies, right? And the guy was asking if we had like an API for cash link. So essentially what's gonna happen is you will still have like the, you know, traditional, like what I call <laughs> TradFi. So you have like traditional finance rails but then we're going to have like a parallel financial rails that just works with like crypto. Right. Um, and, you know, even now, like when we have like our, our lawyers, we don't pay them with, with, with Naira. We don't use any type. We just send them like a stable coin, right. Um, for like supplies and things like that. So it's becoming more, more, um, 
you know, it's becoming more, more, more of a thing. I, I can't share some of the public numbers for P2P, but whenever I read some of the numbers that are quoted, you know, I, I find that funny because like it's massively underreported. <laughs> just share yeah. a peek, you know, just share like one number just to tell guys that, you know, like, <laughs> a lot of buzz happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just messing around. You know, you know, I didn't know the day, right? Like, one of us has to, you have to find that balance between kind of beauty. Well, I think you're muted. Yeah, I, I think you've, yeah, 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 the sound has just dropped, Yale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could probably pick up from where um, David left, um, re Kenya. Kenya is a oh, very last year. Yes, yeah, okay, yeah. perfect for you. Uh, yeah, this deal from Big Clipper. Um, David was highlighting the microeconomies and how Bitcoin comes in handy and other cryptos. So I could probably now um, probably speak on behalf of the Kenyan digital community. Um, from the numbers that we ran with our beta, a lot of the Kenyan youths are, you know, venturing into the freelancing gig, remote design, remote code. Um, some are academic writers as well and um, trans transcribers and um, working with the likes of PayPal, et cetera, et cetera, becomes an issue for them because more often than not, their transactions are flagged and their accounts locked for like 180 days. Um, Re-regulations, um, we can't say we are a very bad place here because the central bank just issued an advisory telling people they should be careful when dealing crypto. So we haven't really banned it here, but um, we haven't accepted it either. But yeah, yeah Africa, we'll keep reading. <laughs> uh, the government in Africa, you know, they're a little bit lazy. They just wait for European government to um, come up with some regulations, please a few words in between, and then implement the same. I would say we are in a better place. There's a lot to unpack in that, um, but especially <laughs> oh, yeah. when it came to the regula regulatory <laughs> and burden, uh, because there's quite a lot of change and there's a big difference, especially when you look at Kenya versus South Africa versus Nigeria. Um, but we'll come back to that in a moment. So one question I had was you touched upon, for example, the difficulty sometimes depositing something in shillings into especially like these global exchanges. Um, the Kenyan shillings as well, just to clarify for the rest of the audience. But I remember, David, you seem to suggest a hesitancy towards the use of stable coins, especially in the context of Kenya. Um, and I wanted to really understand more broadly, what do you think is the use case for stable coins, African stable coins on the continent? So just for the context or for the for the audience to have additional context, there are stable coins on the continent. You have NGNT, which is obviously Naira um, backed, and that was founded by Bycoins, which is a major um, company in this space on the continent. We also have ABC. D, which was founded by Atsu, the founder of BitSeeker. Um, and ABCT is essentially aims to be a, almost a basket of different stable coins around the continent. So to pivot back to what the question was once again, um, what are the use cases for stable coins in the continent? Um, and how do you see that evolve in, a um, in the future? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a really great question. And I can see Yale's back as well, so we can probably really mean to. Um, but, you know, just to, to, like in my honest opinion, um, and like like my my take on it, like my two cents would be, so also just to come back to, to, to the way I answered the question, I wasn't actually eliminating it. I was more eliminating it in terms of like um, internal uh, exchange of value happening. But like in Africa, I think that's really the only way that will happen um, at scale. Uh, it, when you look at just unlocking as many continents as we can, as quickly as we can. So because the plague of fiat is actually basically in terms of storing liquidity, like market makers, a few most currencies that are pegged to USD, will, you'll get a, a really bad spread. Uh, so 15, 25% spreads, just like, you know, Yale alluded to earlier um, when it came to like uh, NGN. And that's why like, um, so Bycoins and, you know, a bunch of folks within like the um, crypto community in Nigeria, they minted NGNT. Um, and I, I can't allude to so much of the things that we're doing, but I mean, there's going to be a, a KS stablecoin uh, very soon for sure. <laughs> I don't um, want to like, you know, also like. 
Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Is, um, the National Payment um, Systems Act in Kenya allows Kenyans to create e-money, which is technically stable coins, as long as you deposit an equivalent of the same with a bank that's recognized by the CBK. Yeah, the store value. So it's pretty open. Yeah. So it's like literally all that's neat, all that's sort of like um you know being worked on at this time, um, with a collective of individuals, uh, including myself, is sort of like how then we'll be able to provide a lot of liquidity both on-chain and off-chain through on-chain and, and also off-chain ledgers to then provide like this exchange of value to happen very uh, smoothly across like Bitlipa and um also a really exciting platform that's just just about to launch a friend of mine as well which is called Benkiko, which and they are doing like a, a usd stable coin that's going to be sort of like exchange value between ks and usd um and we're doing uh, stuff with them as well but like i see it more as not only social commerce but also very primarily like significantly uh, remittance um, because it's still very cumbersome and if we even tear down most of the way the rails are operating they are as i alluded to earlier they're essentially just storing um, bags of liquidity and these are the like uh, essentially local currencies, the African currencies like KS, DHS, NGN and such. And then when you need to essentially be credited, they just now credit from that bag that you're storing, whether it's to the bank or to the um, market maker and such. And these are few and far between, and it's definitely not the way to go. So I see like in traffic trade then primarily just happening via um, stable coins, um, either PEG to USD or now native stable coins, which um, you know, will start to see a spur of growth uh, there as well. Yeah, they do you have anything to add um, to that, especially because I guess the use case of stablecoins in Nigeria is slightly different because um, of difficulties access in foreign exchange and also um, devaluation of um, of the Naira and high, very, very high inflation. So just for the context of the audience, inflation earlier this year in Nigeria was as high as 18 percent. Yeah. Um, can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah, we can. Okay. Okay. So I think that um, the way I think about sort of like stable coins in general is we 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 would we will see sort of like more more and more proliferation across across sort of like the the continent. Um, and you know, initially I was actually you know I remember when when Timmy proposed the idea of of NGNT. Um, I was like, why do we need a, a narrow stable coin? Now, there are kind of like two key things that we changed in terms of like how the design works. Um, now, one is that before NGNT was backed by Naira. Um, now we actually back NGNT by um, um, sort of over collateralizing it with, with, with US, USD, USDC and BUSD, right? Um, and what, what that has done, well, one is that for a lot of people in Nigeria, they think about value and everyday goods in Naira, not in USD terms, right? So having a, a sort of Naira denominated USD stable coin actually allows us to bring Naira on chain without, the, without two things. One is you don't have to have a centralized point of failure in terms of keeping the currencies in a bank because like that can be seized at any point in time. Um, number two is that we don't have to think about like devaluation, right? Um, and so essentially we've been able to kind of like create, um, make it very easy for, for, for Nigerians to think about um, um, decentralized finance in their own local denominated um, um, sort of the way they think about, you know, the value of goods and things like that, right? And, and I think like that is pretty, that is pretty interesting. Now, obviously, you know, as the system gets bigger, um, now you have issues like, okay, how much USDC um, and how much USD are you gonna have access to to back the system? Um, but that's also why I'm quite bullish on on kind of like credit and lending um, with, with crypto. So I still think like it's crazy that every, like lending in crypto today has to be collateralized, right? Um, and so I spend a lot of my time thinking about like, what would a decentralized um, on decentralized but uncollateralized lending protocol look like for Africa. I think the closest group of people that are working on this is Goldfinch. Um, they just raised money from from A16Z and they're working with a couple of like local um, um, lending lending companies. Um, you know, but I, I do think about that a lot. 
And I think like that would be, you know, that second layer that actually takes crypto mainstream. We have over a trillion dollars worth of credit gap across Africa, not just about Nigeria or anywhere. Like it's really difficult for people to get access to credit. And the, 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 the truth is that banks are actually not incentivized to give consumers or businesses credit. They might as well just give it to lend it to the government um, and earn interest on like, you know, the treasury bills or give it to really, really large businesses. So there's this kind of like popular chat that we always look at where it's like, you know, um, they, they, the banks lend to less than 1% of the cos consumer and, 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 and business base. So no one has access to liquidity to then give, give like, to, to give like credit, right? And we don't have credit scores. Credit scores are not portable. So there's this huge space of innovation that no one is really doing anything about. But, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more um, of, of stuff happen there. Number two is um, the way I think about kind of like social, social tokens and coins tokens and DAOs. You know, right now, a lot of people still think about like DAOs as this kind of cool, you know, really fun thing. But I understand why it's that way, because, you know, Chris Dixon said all like, you know, everything seems like a toy at, 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 at some point. But, you know, I incorporated an entity in, in, in Nigeria. The CAC, which is the body that does the incorporation, had a glitch in their system. They gave the entity, the entity's RC number to two companies. And for the last like six months, we're trying to resolve that. Like that makes no sense, right? So you only incorporate an entity, it takes you so long to get it done. Might as well just have like an, an, an on-chain organization that then coordinates everything. I don't know, they, what do you need? You know, what do you need a corporate or a physical legal entity for when you can have like a DAO that you can use to hold the treasury on chain that you can use to pay for pay for services? Obviously, you may not be able to kind of like sign like off offline um, or off-chain legal contracts, but I think at some point you can figure out how to make make it possible for on-chain DAOs to sort of like have legal you know signatures with other businesses that maybe aren't aren't um um you know um DAOs. so allowing DAOs to interact with like non or off-chain entities then at that point you don't really need um um kind of you know um local entities anymore so i think there's this kind of like white space of innovation that no one is really building around around on but you know as we have more developers and more technical talent you know, from frontier markets, so exposed to these problems every single day, um, you're going to see a lot more innovation, a lot more utility. And, you know, I think I told a couple of days ago, I said that I believe that we're going to go through, you know, a building season in, in, in Africa because, you know, we did a, a, a hackathon or sorry, we did a developer masterclass um, in partnership with Binance where we trained like almost like 6,000 developers. Now, not everybody that went through that program are going to become developers, but about 100, 150 people are a lot more technical, a lot more conversant with, 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 with blockchain than they were before. We're currently running a hackathon now. I think we have maybe like 100 plus teams. Um, and so you're seeing a lot more innovation. There are a lot more companies, engineers who are work, who worked at like, you know, Bitsika, Bondo, Bycoins are going off to start their own businesses. Um, and so I remember five years ago when, you know, Michael Siebel, um, Kasainis from YC, um, the Texters guys and 500 guys came to Nigeria in the small of 2016. And it was like, wow, like we are about to have like a, you know, a, a massive on-ramp in our tech ecosystem. And that's what's played out. So in five years, we went from very, like, like you know, not a lot of startups in, in, in Africa. I remember someone raising a million dollars Right. And that was such a big deal. I was like, wow, I can't believe like someone raised a million dollars. Like now a million dollars is not even a thing anymore. It's we didn't more have money. Any, it's more money. <laughs> you know, we have any unicorns and, you know, in the space of like two years, I think they're about almost maybe like six or seven unicorns. And so, you know, we saw that kind of like rapid growth in five years. And that's why I'm extremely bullish about crypto in Africa and frontier markets, because I think we're going to have a lot more technical talent that have local context to kind of like problems that crypto is uniquely positioned to solve for. And we're gonna transition from pure speculation to actual utility. And that's, that's a very exciting future to build and be a part of.
Um, I'm conscious of time and I know that the audience may have some questions. Um, so I'm just going to quickly provide a bit of context also to some of the points that Theo, Yele and David have made, um, just so people are aware. So one is when it comes to remittances, Africa, the cost of remittances to Africa and within Africa amongst the highest in the world. Um, I think the last thing I looked at said that to remit to Africa on average, the cost is about 9%. The fee is about 9% for about 100 US dollars, which is ridiculously high. Um, um, equally, equally, if we're to pivot to credit, credit is a very interesting space, especially in the context of Kenya. There's been a lot of disruption and a lot of governmental regulation um, when it comes to the space of credit. Um, of course, also in a lot of emerging markets, credit companies have faced a lot of challenges because of Google or Android's um, changes in policies in terms of the information that um, these companies can utilize um, from and take from a user's for, for, um, phone to determine a credit score and worthiness, which is especially important in emerging markets because they didn't have external databases um, to look and to see and access to see whether someone was read, um, worthy for a credit score. But I don't want to hog too much of the microphone because I see that there are some really interesting questions um, on Slido. So, to quickly, to answer the first one, which actually is anonymous, so I'll ask it on the person's behalf. What are some of the opportunities in the crypto world for non-developers? Um, so, so I think I would, I would answer it from, a, you know, how, how can you contribute um, to the ecosystem? Um, crypto is extremely unique in that it's community focused right um and so one of the things that has made us stand out against sort of um a number of other players in the ecosystem is just how community driven we are um and that comes a lot from you know our ambassadors um to um our community and growth managers um and you know that is a skill set that anyone can pick up um you know, so I think like at a very minimum, like just joining a community and and being able to add value um, is, is 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 a is quite a big one. Um, you can be a content writer or an educator if you understand the concepts well enough. I think crypto education um, for retail or even businesses is a big big part that is missing right now. On the, you know, on the on the on the continent, um, and there are kind of like other roles. Um, BD, business development, product management, um, being a designer, um, all these things are like hyper, hyper critical. Um, and, you know, this might not seem like as exciting, but like customer experience, um, we invest a lot in our customer experience infrastructure with Bundle. Um, so, you know, thinking about like customer experience end to end and thinking about ways to kind of optimize and scale that up, um, you know, these are non technical roles that still contribute a ton of value. Yeah, and I think just to um, add very briefly onto that is like, one that's really huge is like compliance teams. Um, because whilst, you know, the building is exciting, scaling, growing is exciting, I think um, for most platforms, it's more of like a build now and then worry about regulation later. <laughs> but if we're engaging the regulators earlier, then we'd also be able to shape the regulation around crypto, which is really important, but also just have someone on the team always who has like their, their finger on the pulse or their ear on the wire to like, you know, what the CBN or the CBK is doing. That's really important because then it also helps, you know, to frame, okay, what do the next three months look like? Or what should we be doing to essentially optimize for um, uh, like, you know, better regulation or better communication between like, you know, builders and regulators. And then the final one is just like, we need more content creators within the space. So if you're a content creator uh, and, and you're just putting out like finance content, uh, by all means, please put out like more crypto content, especially in Africa. Like, I feel like we don't have as many people educating others on crypto. And for the most part, the people who are building are too busy building. So we need other people within like, you know, these teams and products um, just putting out content. One company that does this really well is like uh, Lolly that I can think of that's over my head around the content. 
I was also going to add from like the to answer the question as well even if you're thinking of from a founder perspective there are plenty of crypto founders who are not technical so the one that really springs to mind is Alex Alex Mazmich um he's actually if you're on debt fellow he's doing a talk I can't remember when but he is a great example of someone who's completely non-technical but just really has spent the time really understanding and um, the crypto space um, and really thinking about more the marketing side. And I think especially as we're moving more towards thinking about how we can abstract crypto and make it actually useful for an individual, non-technical individuals will still play, will play an especially key role in that because it's meant to be relatable for the individual. Um, so thank you for that question, whoever you were, the anonymous individual in the audience. Um, move on to the next question. The next question is from flow um i'm going to try and add you to be able to speak um flow if you're still here um yeah i'm here can you see me yes perfect one second let's there you go awesome thanks maya yeah thanks guys this has been really interesting um such a great opportunity to have a, um, like a glimpse on the pulse of what's happening in like crypto web three in Africa. Very interesting. Um, <clears throat> my, excuse me. My question was about um, adoption and you answered a lot of it. Actually, Theo spoke to a lot of it earlier already, both sort of on the blocker side and also on the accelerators, maybe two sort of aspects that would be really interesting to understand more about the one is Africa and adoption maybe in more detail in relation to like the rest of the world and how quickly it could happen. Um, in particular, actually, I'd also be interested more, on more thoughts around DAOs and, um, you know, things like Stockfells in South Africa, like those kind of cultural mentalities of like group saving or, or banding together and like creating your own rules. Like what are some of the, like the long tail effects that could come from that? How would things look in three to five years? Kind of maybe speaking to more, what could Africa be like in, in three years? How does it compare to, to other sort of parts of the world? Yeah, anyone um, So yeah, maybe think, you can go first. So I think for me, um, whilst we don't have like, you know, comparative data, um, but it does feel like crypto is growing quite quickly um, on the on the continent. Um, and, you know, the amount of sort of like government, government or regulators that are talking about it. Um, I think there's this kind of like stat um, that was put out where it said that um, Africans are more likely to, to have Bitcoin wallets than, um, you know, people in, in America. Um, and I, I do think that Africans will have a higher percentage or African crypto users have a higher percentage of their earnings or savings in crypto than like the rest of the world, um, whether that is stable coins or even things like Bitcoin. Um, I'm, I'm very bullish about the growth of, 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 of crypto on the continent. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've learned a lot through building bundle and I think being a builder has kind of really made me think a little bit deeper about where, where I think growth will come from. Um, I'm very, 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 very bullish on P2P and, and develop of stable coins. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned sort of like, you know, saving circles and things like that. Um, one, of the, one of the ideas that we are thinking about is actually creating that overlap wherein we we're able to incentivize um, circles to keep each other accountable um, and, you know, encourage each other to like save, right? Um, and even buy crypto more, more regularly. Um, so, so I know there was a couple of companies in the past that have tried it, um, and it didn't work. Um, but I think it was, it was two things. One was that they didn't have sort of high yield, which is very important in making in making these types of products be more successful, right? So you can't just say, "Oh, you're saving in dollars, and then the return is going to be two or three percent," when they can save in their local currency. And someone is offering them like 10% or 12%. For you to be comparable, number one is that the minimum has to be the same. Number two is that the returns, in my opinion, have to be about 50% better, right? Um, and if you can crack that, 
and again abstract kind of like any crypto jargon um then you have you have a lot more um, um kind of upside and, and uptake yeah and like you know just to you know add a bit onto that i think like you know you mentioned DAOs, uh, and, and you're asking like you know how DAOs would look like i think for the most part, uh, for majority of Africa, but I'll speak on Kenya because I know the market pretty well, it, like the, the appetite on the consumer level is actually already there. So in Kenya, for example, and, and East Africa as a whole, we have a lot of chamas and chamas are essentially just collectives of individuals that have decided to save in cash. And so they pull this cash and then every single month, one person will get that uh, cash or they'll choose to put it into like um, either land or they choose to buy agriculture with it and then they reinvest it and such and so uh, I mean how I see DAOs and, and I could be wrong of course if by the way they evolve it's sort of like you know if we're able to on-chain these chamas of sorts these collective savings groups which actually so in Kenya it makes up about 46% of like overall GDP um, I think we can definitely now unlock a ton of value for individuals mostly low-income individuals who are essentially getting to some extent screwed over because banks are taking a lot of the percentage on the returns that they'd be able to get and with the g like sort of like if you look at the rate of inflation right now in kenya which is about like four to six percent they're being given the same amount if they invest in a mutual fund but if they invest in a chama they're essentially getting the same return so the goal is if we can actually offset that uh, inflation rates and then you know be able to even contribute to nine ten percent and inflation is retains uh, stays at four percent then now we're also providing more value and it's on chain as well so they have access to you know upside through usd uh, usd if we then peg it to usd so like i see as most of the DAOs that i do see being formed is around like these social groups you know it's it's, it's very much niche so you know women tend to save together families tend to save together or um uh, families and extended families also then form these chambers to save and, and I think those can easily then be converted into DAOs, whereas now it's, it's sort of like not only really decentralized in, in the way that it's structured, but decentralized even in the way that they save, providing even further upside um, for, for the collective DAO as well, and then that's really exciting. I think just um to respond to that and also to add to that and um, one interesting company is not necessarily using crypto as far as i were i'm aware but that does the social grouping aspect is quara um, which is based in kenya and they're part of the capitalist fund and they seem to be doing quite well because this is a problem that many companies have tried to attach and tackle um, but there's a lot of cultural nuances behind it and a lot of especially when it comes to saving money and the mentality around saving money and um, but quara um, in kenya seems to be doing quite well and i believe they're also expanding to other parts of the continent. So there's one other question which I want to try and quickly cover um, in the last couple of minutes. Um, and that is from Dave. Um, let me try and add spotlight if you're still there. Yeah, perfect. Um, Dave, please ask your question. Sure. Uh, so, you know, uh, as someone who lives in the United States, um, I'm well aware of the power of, of large sovereign nations um, in regards to influencing policy and how people um, you know, act and economies act on a day-to-day -day basis. I am aware of the Belt and Road Initiative in the continent of Africa. I know the CCP uh, is trying to exert as much influence as possible throughout the rest of the world and, you know, in any place that, that they can. Um, I don't know if you individually or your companies have experience in your particular areas of focus in regards to um, direct or um, interactions with the CCP, but I'm wondering as build your products and think about crypto in the context of the continent of Africa and specifically in the context of the CCP exerting influence on the continent of Africa how do you um, how do you navigate that as you build your products um, is it something you're actively thinking about um, is it something that you interact with on a you know somewhat of a you know regular basis or is it something you're not quite thinking about yet because the the tech and the product and the adoption is not not quite there. That's to anybody. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, maybe I can go first. And I'm, you know, I'm sure Yele uh, and Dio also have some um, stuff to add into this. Uh, for me, I would say it's definitely not at the top of mind. Uh, because if we look at like um, not only the CCP, but collectively even let's just say Asia's influence uh, in Africa, it's pretty much collaborative. It's not dominant in that they're coming in and saying, okay, listen, we, we want to do, want to sort of like structure the way that you guys will, will build. Um, and, and so that's why it's definitely not something that, you know, keeps um, me up at night, um, maybe it keeps other builders up at night and, and, and founders up at night, but um, I would say it's not really, it's not at, at significantly influential at this time, although I do see sort of like as as we go along, these kind of political influences will then become and need to become discussions that will now be at the forefront because then, um, you know, crypto is social and, and for the most part, uh, as social people, then people are also very pretty much political. And I think that it will then start to uh, influence a lot of like, you know, the, the starters that are building uh, in this particular space. But that would be just my, my two cents on it. And Yelen, um, you can chime in as well. Uh, and Mayati. Just so quickly, we're oh, we're at time. So if you could add anything really quickly, um, please. Uh, so um, very quickly, I think I'm similar to David in that it's not something that is top of mind. But at the same time, you know, we're trying to build decentralized, you know, self-sovereign systems. Um, so even if it's the CCP or even the dependence on the USD, for instance, like you still have these. Um, in quotes, um, outside influences on the economic systems. Um, and that's why I'm extremely bullish on things like MakerDAO and DAI, um, which essentially derives some kind of stability purely on chain, right? So, um, but definitely in the short term, it's not really something that a lot of us are thinking about, but we all believe that these systems that we build are meant to be self-sovereign anyway, so yeah. 100% agree to that. Um, I, I agree with Yele and David. It's not really open plan at this moment. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much um, for all of your questions and also thank you, a huge thank you to the panelists. It's been a really interesting conversation and hopefully the audience have learned something more about the African tech scene. The African tech scene is thriving. I am personally very, very bullish on it. Um, after all, there was a recent study that found that the Africa is going to contribute the exact same number of people to the workforce by 2035 as the rest of the world combined. Um, if that if that figure alone does not make you wake up and realize the potential importance of Africa, then I don't know what will. Um, but if you're interested in the African tech scene, feel free to reach out to me. My name is Maya Cattle. You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, et cetera. And also make sure you tune into the Creators Africa podcast, um, which I shared a link to in the chat. And if, if you miss part of this, this will also be shared on the podcast as well. But thank you. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining. And thank you, David, Yele, and Theo for being on the panel. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers. Bye.